0: If you have your Bible tonight, James chapter number 4, the book of James chapter number 4. We're going to jump right on in tonight to our text, James chapter number 4. I'm thankful to have church tonight. I want to thank all those that had such encouraging words Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, including pastor. He didn't post anything on Facebook, but he was sure to message me privately and give me words of encouragement. So, if you're able to tonight, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> it just was different on Sunday. That's all I'm going to say. I woke up early and no snow, and I thought, man, we're going to cancel church and then nothing. All of a sudden, the snow rolled on in, and I'm like, okay, well, that changes everything. And then trying to figure out the Facebook Live thing, I've never done that before. And I actually called pastor on Saturday as I was driving home, I said, hey, uh, it just dawned on me that I've never done this before. He kind of chuckled on the phone, you know, because I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of the tech guy. That's why he has me here, he says, and I'd never done it before, and so I was asking him what I need to do to my phone and everything else, and so I got the feed started on Sunday, so if you didn't see Sunday School on Sunday morning on Facebook, I'm kind of giving you the spoiler alert here, uh, or, uh, and, and so I had the phone set up, and I'm all sideways and everything else, and I'm like, man, how does this thing work? Of course, preachers texting me, my watch is going off, my phone's going off, so I'm glad that we could have church through Facebook one time, amen, and I'm glad we're able to have it tonight. All right, James chapter number four, and uh, let me get myself situated here. James chapter number four, we're going to be at tonight. We'll look at a couple of other passages, but primarily James four will be our text. The Bible says this in verse number one, as we start out the chapter, it says, from whence come wars... And fighting's among you. Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Verse number 4, James writes this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded." I have a brother who will remain nameless that when I FaceTime him, often I'm like, hey dude, how's how's it going? And his response will be like this, man, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And so tonight we're going to look at that, so I've named the title of this, The Struggle, It Really Is Real. We'll look at the struggle that James lists here in James chapter number four. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be in your house. We're thankful for the people that made it out. Tonight, that are in this building, we're thankful for the people, even right now, that are watching via Facebook or YouTube. And Lord, I pray tonight that this message would be a blessing and an encouragement to all of us, as even studying it today for myself, uh, there were things that, uh, Lord, you showed me that even in my struggle, my personal struggle my life, uh, Lord, it's real. And that there's things that, um, Lord, there's things, if I'm not careful, can come into my life and totally ruin not only my life spiritually, but just ruined me completely. What I pray tonight that each and every one of us has gathered, whether here or at home, and we've gathered with the same intention, and that is to draw closer to you, to be more Christ-like in every aspect of our life. Or that is the purpose we've gathered tonight, is to hear from you and to get closer to you. So help us tonight, God, to make the message clear and plain as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, Uh, the book of James is concerned with, if you would, the outward life of faith that man sees. And the focus, if you would, of the book of James is on the fruit of a Christian or the fruit of the saved person. The other famous writer in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was concerned with the inner faith, if you would, of man and how that faith was, was received and how the application of God's influence on their life was received. So while Paul addressed the importance of taking the gospel in and taking in the correction and taking in the faith of Jesus Christ, James emphasized, if you would, living out the gospel. And James is my favorite book of the Bible. It's a practical book. It's a book that if you really study the book of James, there's so much there that, that you're just like overwhelmed at the practicality of living this Christian life. So when we think about living the Christian life, so often we look at the Christian life and think, man, there's no possible way I could live it effectively. There's no possible way that I could have real victory or, or I could really achieve all that God wants me to achieve. Yet James, in just five chapters, really lays out the Christian life and says, hey, if you would just simply do what God wants you to do, if you would simply apply yourself according to Scripture and address these issues in your life and make sure these things are squared away, man, you can have that victorious Christian life. And so James is, a vital, I believe, a vital, a vital book when it comes to studying application in the Christian life. The book is important because it it breaks down the practicality of how we ought to live. Hold your place in James chapter 4 and turn over to James chapter 1. Let me illustrate this for you real quick, and then we'll get into the the meat of the message, if you would. In James chapter number 1, James begins writing this book, and he says in verse number 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. James is not the type of preacher that likes long introductions. I mean, he just gets right into it and says, hey, listen, uh, listen fellow brother sister in Christ, count it all joy. Uh, count it all joy. And so James begins chapter number one, addressing the reality, if you would, that as Christians, you and I are going to face trials. It's not a matter of if we're going to face it, but rather a matter of when we're going to face the trials. And so James, right off the bat, as he's writing to these these Jews that are saved, these Christians uh, that are are obviously very young or very immature in the faith, he said, listen, the reality is you're going to face trials. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face frustrations in life. And can we honestly say tonight that even as a Christian, as a born-again child or a daughter of God, that we know this. uh, Hey, listen, I've faced some difficulties in life. I've faced some trials in life. I've faced some storms in life. And, Brother Angel, I can relate to exactly what James is saying here. But then James doesn't stop there. Go over to chapter number 2. Look at what he says here in, in chapter number 2. In chapter number 2, he gets even a little bit deeper, if you would. Look at verse number 17 of chapter number 2. He says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, verse number 18, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee thy, my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Look what he says here. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O man, that faith without works is dead? Wait a minute here, Brother Andrew. You mean James is saying that without, without works, without, without works I, I, I don't have salvation? That's not what he's getting at. Jay, here's what James is getting at. James is getting at the fact that you and I, number one, we're going to face some trials, we're going to face some storms. But he's getting at in chapter number two, the fact that this, if I'm truly born again, if I'm truly a child of God, there's going to be some actions that take place in my life. There's going to be some work, if you will, that takes place in my life. Uh, it always amazes me uh, uh, and it kind of in a sense makes me a little bit leery of those people who say, yes, I'm saved, but yet there's no there's no works. There's no desire. There's no desire for the things of God. There's no desire uh, for church. There's no desire for reading their Bible. There's no desire to pass out tracts. There's no desire to give. There's no desire to reach lost souls that through the faith promised missions giving. That concerns me. And James in chapter number two is getting down to the practicality, if you would, of the Christian life and saying, if you're truly born again, if there's really faith, there's gotta be some works that go along with it. There's gotta be some application with it. Listen, we don't work to get salvation but we work because of our salvation. And I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful tonight that I don't have to work for my salvation. I'm thankful tonight that my salvation is not based on Andrew Rodriguez, because I'll be honest with you, if it was based upon me, I'd be lost, Brother Joe. I'd be lost. Brother Jim, I'd be on my way to hell, and so would you. But I'm thankful tonight that because I am saved, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that I have an opportunity to blast out a track. I have an opportunity to read my Bible and to pray. I have an opportunity to give and to support missions. I have an opportunity to hang out with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful tonight that because I am saved, man, there's some works in my life. There's some things that take place in my life. Listen, tonight, we've got to understand this. That James is getting at verse, in chapter number two, that our faith isn't just, hey, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm a child of God, i got a home in heaven. No, no, it's deeper than that. There's got to be some action that takes place. There's got to be some action, there's got to be some application of that faith. We just got done Sunday with uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, I won't, won't park here real long, but man, could you imagine husbands and wives, if, if you looked at your spouse and say, yeah, we're just, you know, we're just married. Brother John, you and Miss Terry just uh, Celebrate your guys's anniversary. I mean, could you imagine after all these years, you just say, yeah, that's just that's just my wife. I mean, it's just my wife. Just, yeah, it's just my wife. Just that's just Terry. You know, it's just my wife. No, no, no. There was some nurturing of that love, and there was some nurturing of that relationship. I'm thankful tonight that when I got saved, it's not just yeah, I'm just I'm just saved. Right, I, you know, brother, I only got a home in heaven. I'm just. You know, brother, that applies to that person out there. It applies to all these other people that are out reaching. I mean, I'm just I'm just saved. Yeah. No, no, that's the type of Christianity we have going on in America today. Where we, listen, we have Christians that are saved, that are born again, sitting in an Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, know for sure that heaven's their home, and they're just coasting through. Like, it's no big deal. No, no, James is saying this. Listen, there's got to be some works. There's, there's got to be some works to that faith. And, and I'll be honest with you, tonight, if we look at our own life, and I look at myself, and I think, about, man, 2020, whew, 2021, oh, my goodness. Uh, 2021, I think it's going to be crazier year than 2020, Uh, I'll go on record in saying that. But listen, I cannot, I cannot, based upon whatever's going on in the world, whatever's taking place in St. Joseph, America, whatever's taking a place in America or in Washington, D.C., I can't look at my life and go, well, I'm just saved. I'm just, I'm just going to coast through in 2021. No, no. no. There's got to be some works. There's got to be some application and some, uh, uh, some work, if you would, when it comes to my faith. And that's what James is getting at in chapter number two. But then he gets into chapter number three and notice this in verse number five. He kind of changes it a little bit here and he gets real personal. Look at, look at chapter number three and verse number five. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Look what he says. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Skip down to verse number eight. Here's what James says. He says, but the tongue can no man tame. The tongue no man can tame. He says this, this is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. In chapter 3, James looks at the world's smallest yet most destructive troublemaker, the tongue. You know, our tongue has done more damage than it has done good. The tongue has destroyed, uh, destroyed sorry destroyed more marriages, relationships, churches, testimonies, etc., you name it. We've allowed our tongue so often, even, listen, he's writing to the Christian, Brother John, he's not writing to the lost person. No, 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 he's not writing to someone saying, hey, listen, listen, uh, when you get saved, when you finally put your faith and trust in Christ. No, no, he's writing to somebody who's already saved. He's writing to somebody who's already put their faith and trust in Christ. And here's what James is saying. The tongue's a problem. The tongue's a problem. The tongue's a problem. You know, it's so easy for us to gossip. It's so easy for us to put down. It's so easy for us to be crude, be disrespectful. It's so easy for us just to put something out there. You ever said something and you're like, I want that back? I want that back. Whether it's with a spouse, with a child, with the coworker, with a boss. Hey, what about with God? We ever said something to God and maybe in anger and frustration and just kind of just, God, what? And we're like, ah, man. I need to pull that back in. James says this, look at verse five. Even so the tongue is a little member. James said, hey, even though it's just a little member, He says, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue will destroy. Growing up, my mom always said this, and I'm sure many of you heard this as well. If you ain't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Still applies today. Still applies today. But the tongue. Then he gets into chapter number four, where we find our text tonight. And he brings us to chapter four and James begins to look at, if you would, the struggles of the saints, the struggles of the individual Christians. There's not a person in the world today that would say, man, I have no struggles. Who here tonight would say, yeah, Brother Andrew, I got struggles. I got struggles at home. I got struggles at the workplace. Man, I got struggles at the workplace. Got to work with Cole. You'd have struggles, right, Mr. Reen? you have struggles. Mr. Reen's going to testify. Got struggles, right? We won't even talk about Miss Emily tonight. But anyway, moving on. But listen, we got struggles. We struggle. And any Christian across the globe tonight could testify and say, no, Brother Andrew, there's some struggles. And can I say it like this? I was thinking about this this afternoon. Sometimes we kind of minimize struggles. We kind of minimize struggles. And that phrase, that byline, you know, the struggle is real. And man, when my brother would say that, I'm thinking, dude, whatever. You have no idea. You're not struggling. You're just saying that just to say it. And, you know, we see the memes and the tweets and the posts on Facebook and the people making comments, oh, the struggle is real. But the reality is this, the more I thought about it, the more it is true for you and I as a Christian. That the struggle that you and I are in tonight, spiritually, individually speaking, is real. It really is real. And the sad thing is this, is that James is writing to Christians who understood their struggle was real. But can I dare say this tonight, that maybe I'm preaching or maybe we're looking at this to Christians, Christians that are sitting here, because I was in this boat, uh, they didn't recognize the struggle is real. We're kind of just going through the motions. We're now in the middle part of February and, you know, we're past the New Year's resolution stuff and, you know, we're kind of getting into the new year and our Bible reading has laxed off a little bit and our prayer time has laxed off a little bit. You know, we didn't have church on Sunday and and we didn't have church the Sunday before, and man, it's just so easy for us to just kind of go through the motions. And that walk and that relationship and that passion and that desire and that love and that zeal for God is just not there. Man, we didn't, we didn't have camp last year, and we didn't have vacation Bible school. We haven't run the buses, uh, since well, now for almost a year. And, man, all these things can go through our minds, and we forget that the struggle is real man, we haven't had door knocking and we haven't had good weather, Brother Mike. And I don't know how you're passing out all them tracks and the door hangers, Brother Mike. It's like 40 below zero. And man, you just, struggle's real. The struggle that you and I face as Christians, as born again believers, no, no, it's real. And James gets, at, gets into it right here in verse number one of chapter four. Look what he says here. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. I think the first thing that James points out for us tonight as we break down this reality of struggles, if you would, is this, the source. In verse number 1 through verse number 3, James, if you would, takes a snapshot and he really kind of, in a sense, asks these rhetorical questions. Look what he says in verse number 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? What's with the wars? What's with the fightings? What's with the conflict amongst you? There was obviously something that was taking place within the early Christians here that he was addressing, and there was some conflict, there was some quarrel, if you would. And he says this in the latter part of verse number one, come they not hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members? No, no, we've got to realize tonight the source of our struggle is not, listen, is not God. James is not saying the reason why you're struggling, the reason why there's conflict, the reason why there's frustration is because of God. James doesn't say that. Look what he says. He says, come they not hence, even of your what? Your lust that war in your members. Our struggle tonight, the source of our struggle, you know who the source of our struggle is? Us. It's us. No, 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 no. The source of your struggle is not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not your family members. It's not your pastor. It's not your fellow church member. The source of your struggle is you. No, That's really what James is getting at. Look what he says, verse two. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask amiss, or ask not. Listen, James isn't addressing a church, if you would. He's not not like Paul when Paul wrote the uh, church at Ephesus, or Paul wrote the church at Corinth, or Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. No, no, James is addressing the Christian. And he's talking about daily living. And and James is saying, listen, where's the conflict coming from? Where's the problem? Where's the frustration? Where's the wars? Where's all the difficulties? Oh yeah, it's coming from you, from your own lust. Look what he says, verse three. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. The Christian that James is writing to faced the same real world struggles that you and I face today. Here's the struggle we face today, sin. Sin, temptation. You know, sin hasn't changed. As James is penning these words down, sin in James's day is still sin today. Sin doesn't change. Listen, God doesn't change. Sin doesn't change. Listen, what was sin a 1,000 years ago is still sin today. What was sin 6,000 years ago is still sin today. Sin does not change. So the struggle tonight is not the individual sitting to the left or to the right of us. The struggle tonight is us. Why is it us, Brother Andrew? Because we're sinful. We're sinful. Notice what he says in verse number one. He says, come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. The word lust used in verse one carries the idea of this, gratification of sensual, natural, fleshly desires. It's referring to the sinful nature we all have living inside of us. It's deep, Brother Andrew. I know, it's Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night. Here's the reality tonight. Each and every one of us is sinful. Where's Levi in here? Levi, raise your hand. Levi, raise your hand, Levi. Levi, four years old. I want to testify and go on record. Levi is sinful. I don't care what any of you say. He is so wickedly sinful. Okay, he is. But guess what? So is his dad. So is his mom. So, hey, he's not here so I can say it. So is his preacher. So is his preacher's wife. Hey, listen, we're sinful. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to belittle anybody. But the reality sometimes is is that we come into church, Brother Mike, and we have this mindset of, oh, I'm good. I, I, don't, need the, I, don't, need the, I don't need the challenge. I don't need the message. I don't need the singing. I, I'm, just, I'm just here out of duty. I'm just here out of repetition. The fact of the matter is you're the source of the struggle. I'm the source of my struggle. You know why, Brother John? Because I'm flesh. I'm sinful. And when I'm struggling, when I'm frustrated, when I'm going through this life and I'm thinking, man, why is this not working? Man, why is there wars? Why is there conflict? Why, why is it, Why? where is the problem? Sometimes I got to take a time out if you wouldn't just stop and go, wait a minute. Yeah, there's some sin in my life. There, there's, some, there's some falling short in my life. And I may not, listen, I may not verbally talk about it to uh, my wife or, or to pastor or to anybody else, but deep down inside of my heart, I know, man, I'm not right with God. Deep down in your heart, you know, man, I'm not right with God. I haven't I have been living right. I've allowed these things in my life. I've allowed this lust to creep up. And listen, we think about the word lust, and and we automatically think of a a sexual or a sensual connotation. But can I say this? James wasn't referring just to a sexual or sensual connotation. No, no, no. He was referring to that aspect of our life where it's all about us and not about God. That's really what he's getting at. Look at the context. Look at verse number one. From whence comes wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Now notice what he says, that ye may consume it upon your lust. No, no, no. no. Listen, we are sinful creatures. We have a sin nature. We have an aptitude, if you would, to do that which pleases ourself and pleases our flesh and pleases our own desires rather than pleases a holy and a righteous God. So we're the source, if you would, of our struggle. Paul would warn Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul would say this, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of their good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Man, what a picture of frustration tonight that our lust and our desire for the flesh and the things that feed our flesh and things that we want would so consume us that we'd be like, man, man, my life's just not what, man, God, God's just not real to me. God's just not doing what I want Him to do. That's the problem. You're telling God what you want Him to do rather than you allowing God to tell you what you need to do. James says, listen, the source of your frustration, the source of your struggle is your own self. Many Christians live in frustration today because they have the wrong priorities in their life. The war that is taking place in their heart, in my heart, in your heart, creates war, listen, in the homes, which spills over into the church. Anger and hatred at God spills over and anger toward God's people and God's plan. When the lusting person cannot fulfill his or her desires, the result is often catastrophic. give you an example. When the men of Sodom, remember the men of Sodom? Remember they went to Lot's house? Men of Sodom were struck by blindness by the angels. They continued groping at the door in vain to attempt to gain entrance and satisfy their sinful lust. That's one example. Let me give you another example. Absalom. Absalom was so consumed with the thought, the idea, if you would, of ruling the nation of Israel. He was so consumed by this thought, he lusted so much for it to happen that he was willing to murder his own father to get it. So, oh, all, Brother Andrew, that... that That'd never never happen. I'd, I'd never go that low. Would you? Would I? The struggle's real. It's there. And if we're not careful tonight, we're not willing to recognize that we're the source of that struggle. James tells us the struggle comes from our own lust, lust within our flesh that we desire to be fulfilled and not desiring God. But then he gets a little bit deeper. Look at verse number four. James says this. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, now, verse number 1 through verse number 3, James gives us the source, if you would. But Then James gets really personal. And in verse number 4 and verse number 5, James says this, our struggle, not just with ourself, but our struggle with God. Notice the language that James uses. Look at verse number four. He says this, ye adulterers and adulteresses. I can't imagine a more hurtful, damaging, heartbreaking sin within a marriage than the sin of adultery. I couldn't imagine the magnitude and the heartache and the heartbreak that would be caused by the sin of adultery. James says, listen, uh, there's a problem within your life, and the problem within your life is that you're lusting. Then in verse number four, he gets even deeper, and he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, let's be honest tonight. No one's standing up going, hey, Brother Andrew, can, you can say that to me. No one's volunteering saying, yeah, you can say that about me. Because that's a pretty strong statement that James is saying. And ultimately, listen, ultimately, if we get down to it, God is saying. And here's what he says. Ye ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, when a man and a woman were caught in adultery, God told the nation of Israel basically to take him outside the city and stone him. In fact, here's what God said. God said it like this. He says, "And ye shall stone them with stones that they die. ye shall stone them with stones that they die." God makes it very clear that friendship of the world puts one at odds with God, and such a person is guilty, we'll call this a spiritual adultery, and is an enemy or a hostile to a holy and a righteous God. The friendship of the world, enmity with God. So in this text here, in verse number four, When God says this, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? He's not talking about the world like the globe. He's not talking about the solar system. He's not talking about Mars. He's not talking about the moon. He's not talking about that. No, no. he's talking about the people, the society, the culture, this world that we live in. You say, well, Brother Andrew, I've got to have a job. I've got to work. I've got to live. I've got to do these things. I get that, but notice what God says in verse four, what James is saying. He says, listen, you're you're adulterers and adulteresses. Why, James, why would you make such a bold statement? Why would you make such a bold accusation? He says this, because your friendship is not with God. Your friendship is with the world. And tonight, when we think about the struggle, we think about the reality of the struggle. We think about what you and I go through on a daily basis. Can we just say it like this? The world desires to be our friend. The world desires to be our friend. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. The world desires to be your friend. Listen, I I, I don't make sure I say this the right way. We don't have to uh, put our head in the sand to know that the world system, whether it's business, whether it's education, uh, whether it's finance, whatever the case is, the world system desires that we be its friend say, what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? It means this, it wants to condition you, it wants to condition I, it wants to condition our kids, those of you that have young kids, to be just like the world. And James is saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. No. If you're going to be a friend of the world, then I'm going to refer to you as an adulterer or an adulteress. That's a pretty bold statement, pretty powerful statement. say, well, how does that apply to me, Brother Andrew? Let me ask you this, are you more a friend of the world or more of a friend of God? No, 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 no. If we're asking tonight, we're taking Scripture and we're taking Scripture and saying, okay, okay, God, what is it you have for me? Man, God, am I more of a friend of this world than I am of you? Now, I know it's a Wednesday night crowd and I know, it. you know, we think, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I'd be more of a friend of God. I want you to notice what John wrote in 1 John. He said this, verse chapter 2, verse 15. He said, love not the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Is it possible to go in fellowship with the world and walk in fellowship with God? That's a valid question tonight. Is it possible for you and I to walk in fellowship with the world, hand in hand with the world, Brother John, and at the same time walk hand in hand with God? I dare say, according to our text tonight, that's not possible. That there's a line, if you would, that's been drawn in the sand, and the struggle that you and I face is this. Am I a friend of God, or am I more of a friend of the world? Am I, am, I, am I more aligned with God and with the Bible and with what he has for me? Or am I more aligned with what the world has for me? The struggle tonight is not to be more worldly. It's to be more godly. The struggle tonight is our flesh does not want the things of God. It does not want to be conformed to the things of God. It does not want to be conformed to the thinking of God. Our flesh wants to do what pleases, or pleases the sinful nature of the sinful flesh in our life. Our involvement in a worldly lifestyle usually is a gradual process. In verse number four, God gives us the first step. He says this, friendship, friendship. Now, most of us have friends here. Most of us have acquaintances. But we start out on our alignment, if you would, with the worldly lifestyle by just having a simple friendship, having a simple acquaintance, having kind of on a first name type basis. Then we become spotted by the world. James chapter one, verse number 27, James mentions that we are not to be spotted Or if you would, like this, just littered by the world. Then comes the love for the world's lifestyle in 1 John chapter number 2. And then finally, we conform to the world. You say, Brother Andrew, can you give me a biblical example? Absolutely. Well, I'm not going to turn there uh, because I don't have enough time. But think about Lot. Think about Lot. Think about Lot. So what about Lot, Brother Andrew? Glad you asked. Lot looked unto the plain. What did he want? He wanted what looked good. He wanted that friendship. Lot pitched his tent toward where? Sodom. Started off with just a simple friendship, Brother John. He wasn't in the city. He wasn't at the gate. No, no, he wasn't involved in everything that was going on. No, he was just looking that way. He just had a simple friendship. That was it. Next thing you know, where's Lot at? He's inside the city. And not just inside the city, Brother Jimmy, but man, he's been lifted up into position of leadership, position of authority at the gate. I mean, he had everything going for him. I mean, he, he, was, he was all in. And then what happens? Well, the angels come. The men come at the door. We want those guys. We want those guys for our sinful, lustful pleasure. And here's lots conforming to the world. You can't have them, but I'll give you my daughters. And we'll say this, man, that's that's disgusting. That's sick. How could Lot do that? Can I just say this and we'll move on? How could we as God's children that are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ look at this world and go, man, I love what this world has to offer me. Why would we want to be anything like the world? Why would we want our children, parents, listen, why would we want our children to live that way? Why, just be blunt tonight as, as a youth pastor, i be very, very blunt. Why would we want our, 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 our 13, 14, 15-year-old daughter to come home and say, hey, I'm pregnant? Why would we want that? Why would we, why would we want to get the phone call in the middle of the night because our 15-year-old or 16, 17-year-old son has been out drinking and partying. He's gotten pulled over. Why would we want that? Why would we want that? Why would we want to look at our teenage child, whether it's a boy, whether it's a girl, and have to deal with them about suicide and, and them taking a bottle of pills or, 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 or taking a knife or taking a gun? Listen, this is serious stuff. And we think it's just no big deal, Brother Andrew. James says, listen, if you're not careful. if You're not careful. Man, you're going to love this world more than you love God. And it's absolutely going to destroy your life. Man, it's amazing after all these years, the teenagers that I've watched grown up. And, and, and man, they made mistakes and they made shortcomings and they had issues. But man, that are serving God. But man, there's a lot that aren't. There's a lot that their lives are ruined. And those of you even that have been here long enough, you've seen young people. Or you've seen people right, come through the, uh, the youth group or the youth department. Or you've seen them at other churches, whatever the case is, however God led you. Uh, and and you look at their lives, and man, some of them are doing amazing things for God, Uh, just absolutely awesome things for God. And yet there's some that sat underneath the same preaching, the same teaching, of those kids that are doing absolutely amazing things for God, and yet they're as far away from God as you can imagine. Why is that, Brother Andrew? Why, Why is it? Well, because their struggle, ultimately, was with God. No, no, their struggle was with themselves first. Then it was with God. You know why? Because they love the world more than they love God. No, no, folks, tonight the struggle is real. Because you may, you may think tonight, oh, you know, Brother Andrew, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I have problems. I understand that I have issues in my life and I understand I've fallen short. I understand that I'm the source of my struggle. But man, I, I don't have struggles with God. No, no, God's gonna do his thing. I'm gonna do my thing. No, either we're, either we're the friend of God or we're the friend of the world tonight. So man, Brother Andrew's pretty negative. Let me give you the positive, and we'll wrap it up tonight. Look at verse number six. How do we get victory, really, over the struggle that's taking place? James says in verse number four, calls him out, says, you adulterers and adulteresses. In verse number six, James really starts to break it down for the individual Christian. He says this, but he, speaking about God, not himself, he says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So, how really, Brother Andrew, do I get, do I get victory in this struggle? I mean, this struggle's real. It's gonna take place. I'm gonna go home tonight. I'm gonna lay my head down on the pillow. I'm gonna wake up in the morning, get ready for school, get ready for work, get ready for whatever the case is, and, and I'm gonna head out the door, and it's just gonna hit me right square in the face. So, how do I deal with it? Well, look at verse number, look at verse number seven. The Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Number one, there's got to be submission to the Lord. The word submit comes from a military Greek word, which means this, to place yourself under, to get in a proper rank, if you would. Victory comes from you and I surrendering to the Lord and getting under His authority in our lives and doing His will. You say, how, how, how does that take place, Brother Andrew? Well, it takes place by us acknowledging the fact that, number one, we're the source of the struggle Number two, that we really do struggle with God because let's be honest, if we're made of flesh and we are sinful, there's a part of us that desires the world sometimes more than we desire the things of God. And it rec- we recognize, man, there's a, there's a problem in my life where I desire more of what this world has to offer, more of what this world can give me. So I need to submit myself to God. Say, God, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. No, no, look what, look what the Bible says, verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, to place yourself under, to get in proper rank. When we submit to God, the responsibility, the outcome of our lives is in God's hands. When you and I look at our life and you and I look at the struggle that takes place and you and I look at the the worldliness that has taken place and and all the things that are around us and all the things that, that come up in our lives, and when we don't submit to God, we're asking for problems. We're asking for those struggles to continue. We're asking for more complications and more frustrations and more anger and all the things that James is saying in in chapter one to chapter five that a good, godly, mature, excited, victorious Christian does not have to live with. Why? Because we simply will not submit to God. We live with the pain. We live with the struggle. God says, you gotta submit. You gotta submit. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. But then he says this. He says, resist the devil. He says, resist the devil. If you and I want victory in our struggle in life, James says here that we've got to resist the devil. That word resist comes from the Greek word which means this, to refuse to yield. Just stands one's ground. We're commanded to stand our ground. Paul would exhort the church at Ephesus, he'd say this, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Um, uh, This last weekend my brother uh, drove out from Colorado, of all the weekends for him to come out and visit, uh, drove out from Colorado to visit and and had breakfast with them and spent some time with them. And, and my brother had spent some time in the Marine Corps and was over in Iraq uh, during the early part of the war back in the early 2000s and, and talking about um, some of the things the Marines did. And I've got another brother who's in the Army. He was in Afghanistan and all the, the combat that they've seen and all the, the fighting and all the, the just the, the chaos, if you would, that they've seen in combat and seen in war. And one of the things that is interesting when I talk to them is the fact that when they talk about going into battle or going on a certain specific operation, the ground that they say, hey, we want this ground. We're not going to give it up. We're going to do everything we can to keep this ground. And so men and, and, and ladies and, and, and people would give their lives. Listen, we're talking about Americans would give their lives for a ground overseas in Iraq or in Afghanistan. would be willing to lay down their life to keep that ground. Yet you and I as God's children, we're not going to stand against Satan. No, 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 we let Satan right on in. We let Satan right on in, whether it's on the TV, on our phone, on our tablet, in the music in our car, uh, in the things that we look at, the things that we watch, whatever the case is, we're letting Satan right on in. And God says this, look what he says, verse 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. What was the last time you and I really stood up and resisted Satan? What was the last time we really said, not today, Satan. Matthew's got a shirt that says, not today, Satan. No, no, when was the last time that we really stood up and said, no, uh, that's not good for my family. No, no, that's not good for my kids. No, no, that's not good for my spouse. No, no, that's not good for my church. No, no, that's not good for whatever the case is. When was the last time we stood up and just told the devil no? Or have we become so stagnant and just kind of coasting That when it comes to the struggle, we're just like, you know, Brother Andrew, struggle's real. You just got to live with it day to day. Or are we willing to get in the fight and take a stand and say, not today, Satan. And say, I don't think so. My kids are worth it. My wife is worth it. My husband is worth it. My pastor is worth it. My church is worth it. My God is worth it. When was the last time we stood up and said, not today, Satan. No, no, we want victory. We want victory over the struggle. It's going to cost us some things. Oh no, it's going to cost us some things. One thing it's going to cost us is us standing up to the old flesh and old Satan himself saying, I don't think so, not today. Look at verse number eight. He says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Number three, we got to seek the Lord. Our desire and goal in the Christian life should be to draw nigh to God. We are to draw nigh to him with the intention of staying close to him. If a marriage relationship is not cultivated, it cools. Have you husbands got a wife that most, most wives like to hear, I love you, right? Well, I mean, most wives, where's my wife at? I think she's in the nursery tonight. Most wives, I know my wife, likes to hear, I love you. Any you husbands ever heard your wife say, your wife says, hey, babe, I love you, and you don't say anything? Brother Joey's like, don't look over here. It's not good, is it, Brother Joey? It's not good. no, no, no. The wife says, hey, babe, I love you. Boys listening? The right thing to do is say, I love you too, baby. Not I know, not I know. Don't say that, don't say that. No, no, listen, a marriage relationship has to be cultivated. Can I say this? Our spiritual relationship with God has to be some cultivation. No, 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 we can't just come into church on Wednesday night, flop open a songbook, open our Bible, bless me if you can, God, and good to go. No, 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 no. Look, look what the text says. Look at verse number eight. Draw nigh to God, and he will what? Draw nigh to you. God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, why aren't you doing this? God, why aren't you doing this? God, why, God, why, God? why? God, God. Here's all God's got to say. Because you ain't draw nigh to me. No, no, no. Look, look a bit further back in our text in verse number two. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your, what? Lust. I don't know. He goes back to the fact that this, it's not about us, it's about him. And God says this, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. And I want victory over the struggle, and when the struggle, listen, the struggle is real, happens every single day, doesn't matter if you're on church staff or not, the struggle is real. It happens every single day. I got to draw nigh to God. I got to keep drawing nigh to God. I got to keep my eyes on God. I got to keep addressing the sin that's in my life. I got to keep standing up to Satan. And look at the last part of verse number eight. He says this. He says, verse eight, it says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Number four, how do we get victory here? Number four, you got to scrub your hands and your heart spiritually speaking. No, look what, look what he says, look what he says. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. You see, I, Brother Andrew, I, I got to go and get like, you know, soap. And, no, 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 look look what he says. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If we are to have victory over the struggle, we need to clean up on the inside and also on the outside. Listen, it does us no good to clean up the outside if we don't clean up the inside i got an article sitting on my desk, and I meant to bring it. I had Cole read it uh, yesterday. I had an article talking about boundaries. and The illustration that the writer gave was how an individual planted a garden. And in the garden, they notice, if you've planted a garden, especially here in Missouri, you notice that the deer and the rabbits and the raccoons and the possums and the neighborhood bully and everybody else tries to steal out of your garden. So the guy builds a wall around the garden, Comes back a couple weeks later, garden's still a mess and man, all these problems. And he's like, man, what are these people are still getting in here? So builds another wall. Does this about two or three times, Brother John, until he gets finally tired of seeing his garden just a mess. So the story goes on, the illustration goes on, where this guy builds a big, huge, tall wall. So nothing can get through it, nothing can get over it. Goes 10 feet underground, thinks, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to come back, my garden's going to be awesome. You know what happens? He comes back. And His garden's absolutely destroyed. Here's what he finds. He finds that the garden destroyed itself from within. Because as he built the wall that kept everything out, the stuff that was already in stayed in. Listen, we've got to purify ourselves. We have all these walls, these protections on. Thinking, Man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, no. We're still sinful. We're still going to fall short. We still have that old wicked flesh inside of us that wants what we want. And if we're not careful, we don't address the inside things. Listen, the wall around that guy's garden did no good until he cleaned out what? Everything that was inside that wall. You and I can do everything on the outside, put the suit on, put the dress on. If you're a girl, put the makeup on, fix the hair, all that kind of stuff. Put the cologne on, all that kind of stuff. Fix the outside and make it awesome. But if the inside isn't right, if the inside isn't clean, if the inside isn't purified, still going to be that struggle. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And notice how he ends this verse, "Ye double-minded. When we're double-minded, we create instability in our lives because we cannot make up our mind to whom we are going to serve. Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't serve two masters. It's not possible. I'm not much for poems, but I found this today and thought it was really good. This was written back in the 1920s. The title of it is called The Young Christian. Listen to the words that this poet wrote. I cannot give it up, the little world I know, the innocent delights of youth, the things I cherish so. Tis true, I love my Lord and long to do His will, but oh, I may enjoy the world and be a Christian still. I love the hour of prayer, I love the hymns of praise, I love the blessed word which tells of God's redeeming grace. But oh, I am human still, and while I dwell on earth, God surely will not grudge the hours I spend in harmless mirth. These things belong to youth and are its its natural right. My dress, my pastimes, and my friends, the merry and the bright. My Father's heart is kind, he will not count it ill, that my small corner of the world, should please and hold me still. And yet, outside the camp, twas my Savior dead. It was the world that cast him forth and saw him crucified. Can I take part with those who nailed him to the tree? And where his name is never praised, is there a place for me? Nay, world, I turn away, though, though, uh, though thou seem fair and good. That friendly, outstretched hand of thine is stained with Jesus' blood. If in thee, uh, if in thee, Least device I stoop to take apart, all unaware thine influence stills God's presence from my heart. I miss my Savior's smile whenever I walk thy ways. Thy laughter drowns the Spirit's voice and chokes the springs of praise. Whenever I turn aside to join thee for an hour, the face of Christ grows blurry and dim, and prayer has lost its power. Farewell, henceforth, my place is with the Lamb who died. My sovereign, while I have thy love, what can I want beside? Thyself, blessed Lord, art now my free and loving choice. In whom thou, now I see thee not, believing I rejoice. Shame on me that I sought another joy than this, or dreamed a heart at rest with thee could crave for earthly bliss. These vain and worthless things, I put them all aside. His goodness fills my longing soul, and I am satisfied." Lord Jesus, let me dwell outside the camp with thee. Since thou art there, then there alone is peace and home for me. Thy dear reproach to bear, I'll count my highest gain. Till thou return, rejected one, to take thy power and reign. The struggle that you and I face tonight, it's real. Every one of us faces it. But what are we doing about it? Are we facing the struggle, holding God's hand on God's side, doing it God's way? Or are we trying to do it our way, the world's way? Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for the Word of God, and thank you for the challenge that's been given. God, I pray that it's been clear and concise. Lord, I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things going on in my heart tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for the book of James and the lessons I've learned in it personally as I've read through it and studied my own time, and Lord, even the messages I've heard over the years out of the book of James. Well, The reality tonight is, is that we all struggle, and it's easy for us to get frustrated and get bogged down, and Lord, the weight and the pressure of this world so often it puts upon us, can bring us down and discourage us. Lord, I pray tonight that if we look at our own life, that our life isn't highlighted by our own lust, our own sinful desires, or That we're willing to put those aside and trust you for everything. Then God, at the same time, I pray tonight that it could honestly be said that we're more of a friend of you than we are of the world. Lord, in 2021, if there's ever a time where we as Christians, as God's people, need to be more closer to you and more aligned with the things of heaven, I couldn't think of another year, another time. God, help us to put you first in our life, to make you the number one priority. And God, help us tonight to have the victory. Help us tonight to see the plan that was laid out in Scripture. Lord, help us tonight to humble ourselves, to grab a hold of that grace that is so freely offered from the throne of grace. Lord, help us tonight to draw nigh to you, to submit ourselves to you in every area of our life, not just in our church attendance. God, in everything that we do, all decisions that we make, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, help us to take a stand and resist the devil, and the temptation that comes. In Jesus' name. As we stand tonight, every head bowed.